Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Today I want to talk instead about something I call unwanted grace, and I'll just have to explain that to you in a minute. Um, ministry has been going very well and keeping me busy. Um, I would remind you to pray for our friends and partners and the country of Myanmar where the military has overthrown uh, the government and has restricted the people quite a bit. So life uh, is still very difficult there to get money, to travel around, to do any kind of ministry, to gather together. I've been talking to them recently and also checking up on people I know associated with Ukraine is very difficult, of course. And um, I was over there in September. I asked about the, the people I taught in class, and the missionary that I had gone over for said he believes most of them have been able to travel to safety. But we don't know what their situation is today because they're probably having to fight in the armed forces. So uh, there's a lot of issues to pray about there for our brothers and sisters. Ministry has been going well. and one of, one of the things that I've been putting some time in into is our podcast. The podcast name is Simply by Grace. Go ahead and take a picture. You'll want to, especially after you hear the stories you're going to hear in a second, uh, because these stories are coming up on our podcast. Uh, you can get it on any podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, but it's called Simply by Grace. And um, I, what I've been doing lately is a series called Grace Stories, and we kind of uh, interrupt our teaching series with these grace stories, and these are stories about people who met God's grace in some ways, sometimes in salvation or sometimes later in life, but they came to an understanding of what grace was really all about. And it's made for some very interesting conversations with people And recently. For example, uh, one of the conversations I had recently in the interviews that I did, and in fact, this one will drop on a Wednesday evening this week, so you'll want to hear it. Her name is Ashley. Ashley, for all appearances, is a beautiful woman, but she was a beautiful teenager, too. She was a very athletic uh, and at the top of her class, a straight-A student. Everyone thought she was a model student, but she went to bed every night thinking about how she could kill herself. And on the night of her graduation party, she drove to the top of the highest bridge in the Tampa area, four, over 400 feet high, parked the car, and she jumped. And if you want to know what happened to you, you've got to listen to the podcast this week. It's an amazing story. And then we're going to, we interviewed, uh, I interviewed uh, Sukwan Patia, one of our missionaries here. In fact, I'll be seeing him this week. He's in town. And, uh, and his story has always amazed me. Here he is, a Sikh from India, northwest India. The Sikh religion is big there. Um, but they're also very strict, and if you become a convert to Christianity, it doesn't go well with your family, friends, and community. And so when he decided to cut his hair, which is Sikhs grow under the turban, you know, they don't cut it. When he decided to cut his hair and get baptized and came home proudly to tell his parents, his father took a gun and put it to his head and said, I'm going to kill you. Get out of here. You're no longer my son. And he fled, and he made his way to New Delhi, and he spent five Days homeless, without food, without friends, sleeping on a park bench. And it was there that God said, 
Do you believe now that you have nothing that my grace is truly sufficient? You hear the rest of his story, you'll have to tune in in a few weeks. And then I talked to Adriana, because she, she's the secretary in a local church not far from here. And the pastor said, you just got to talk to her and get her testimony. And uh, so I met Adriana and, and talked to her a little bit. And, uh, and I said, yeah, we, we have to record. Is that okay? So uh, we recorded her testimony. Adriana grew up virtually homeless. Her parents were in prison. And she really had no family. Uh, relatives took care of her for a while, but in their teenage years, they turned her loose. She was on her own. She hung out with the wrong crowd, got involved, of course, with drugs, alcohol, wrong activities with the wrong kinds of people. They abandoned her. She had a boyfriend. She took up an apartment with him. He left her. She went home to a dark apartment. Uh, she had no support. She had to turn to sex trade to support herself. She goes to a dark apartment feeling totally abandoned, and she screams out into the darkness, is anybody out there? She had never read the Bible. She had never prayed. But it's an amazing story what happened to her after that. In a few weeks, we'll tell you the rest of the story. They all met God's grace in one form or another. It wasn't grace they were really looking for. They didn't know what they were looking for. But they were facing something they thought they couldn't face. And that happens in our lives at times. There are things that, uh, that come before us and we don't know if we can deal with them. Or God asks us to do something that is right and we know we should, but we don't think we can. And it's when we don't think we can, God's grace says, you can but I don't want to, Lord. But you can do it. I'll provide the grace that you need. So maybe I'm talking to you today who are facing some kind of trial. We're all facing something difficult to do, to face, to live with. Some experience that we didn't really ask for or welcome. And you're wondering, how are you going to get through it? I don't think I can do it. God's grace says you can. So I think it would be a good idea for us maybe just to stop and reflect on something that um, uh, is a little bit out of order, but here we go. Um, let me just say I love stories, and that's why we started this podcast series called Grace Stories. I love stories, and as my mom used to say, everybody has a story. Learn their list to listen to it, and you have a story, and God's grace probably is a part of that story if we were to talk to you and ask you about it. So let's talk about what is God's grace. We talk a lot about grace here, so I, I assume that you know what we're talking about. Basically, it means a free gift. It comes from the word gift. And then when we talk about it in Christian terms or salvation terms or Christian life terms, we're talking about an absolute, unconditional, undeserved gift of God. In other words, we can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can't work for it. And so we're saved by grace, meaning that we cannot work for it or do anything to earn or deserve it. But here's something I like. To, I, like I have a simple explanation for grace. It goes like this. It's everything we don't deserve for anything we need. Think about that. Everything we don't deserve, then it's got to be grace for anything that we need. That starts with salvation, but then goes on from there. And I like what Roger one time suggested I add to that and more. So I'll give you credit for that. 
It's more than we need. God gives you more than you need, doesn't he? You need a house, but you got a nice house. You need an income, but you got a nice income. He gives you more than you need. But what is unwanted grace? That's what we're talking about today. When I speak of unwanted grace, I'm talking about God's grace is given to us when we face a difficult situation that we don't necessarily want to go through or don't think that we can handle or that we dread facing, but we know we should do it or we have to do it. We have to deal with it. We say we can't, and God's grace says that we can. It's not necessarily something we're looking for. It's unwanted grace. But we can find those kinds of stories in this world, but there's also many of those stories in the Bible. And if we were just to flip through the Bible randomly, our, our finger would land on just about any story that has God's grace in it. And so we're just going to do that right now. And my finger is scrolling through and landing on Exodus chapter 3 in the story of Moses. And there's the story of the burning bush. I'm going to be uh, um, paraphrasing quite a bit because <laughs> these are long stories. And you know the stories are familiar to you. So Moses is in the wilderness there, not yet with the Jewish people. Uh, and he comes across a burning bush up on the mountain. And God speaks to him there. And God says, uh, come now, this is in Exodus 3.10, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now what might Moses have been thinking he grew up probably a soft life in Pharaoh's palace, royal privilege. But then he found out he was a Jew and identified with the Jews and became a slave. He went from hero to zero. And when he saw one of his Jews being mistreated, he killed the guard. And now he's a, a fugitive. He runs into the desert and he settles with some shepherds, families, nomadic tribes, and he becomes a shepherd. What a resume for a deliverer of the nation of Israel from Egypt. Wouldn't have been my first choice, but Moses didn't think either that he would be a first choice. And even though God said, certainly I will be with you in verse 12, and uh, Moses starts coming up with excuses. Well, well, what do I say to them? He says, verse 13, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, tell the people of Israel, the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am the covenant name of God that meets all of Israel's needs, that has promises that he will keep. Tell them, I am has sent you. Well, that seems like that would be enough for Moses, be enough for me, but I would think, but Moses keeps coming up with other things. He's, he's thinking chapter 4, it starts out, but suppose they don't listen to me or don't believe me. And God says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? A rod. Well, you know what a rod is. It's a stick with all the twigs shaved off. He's got a stick. Throw it down. He throws it down. It becomes a snake. In other words, Moses, I'm going to give you miraculous powers before Pharaoh. And we know that during those pronouncements and plagues, he was able to use that rod and do tremendous miracles, but it didn't really persuade Pharaoh, so the stick really wasn't the answer. And, and then Moses says, but uh, Lord, I, I'm not eloquent. But, you know, Lord, I, when I talk to, and, uh, and, I talk, and I stutter, and, and I'm going to say, God, God said, uh, and, uh, and that thing. 
Some of you got that joke. <laughs> you know that thing? So God says, well, I'll tell you what. I'll send Aaron with you. He can talk. And so he sends Aaron with him. Well, Moses is about out of excuses. And you know the rest of the story. He goes to Egypt. He confronts Pharaoh with his stick and with Aaron and his stuttering speech. And he liberates the Israelites. What was his need? He needed to be credible in front of these people. Why should this nation of millions follow him into the wilderness when they at least know their situation in Israel as bad as it is? Well, he has to convince them that he's credible, that God had sent them. And he needed to be able to communicate to them, and he was, was not eloquent, and God provided for that need. So God's grace appeared to him when he really didn't want it, but it appeared to him in the form of a stick, we might say. But also Aaron, the spokesman, who could communicate for him. Moses experienced unwanted grace. Let's flip a few more pages forward in the Bible and stay in the Old Testament or scroll to wherever you need to scroll. Well, it's going to be Judges chapter 6. We could, we could land just about anywhere, but we're going to go to Judges chapter 6 and look at the story of Gideon. Gideon, you know, was one of the judges who, go, who appeared to help the nation of Israel that was now settled in the land, but was doing their own thing. And because of that, they were being enslaved and persecuted and killed by their neighboring tribes. And in this case, the Midianites were plundering them constantly and taking all their crops. And they cried out to God for help against the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other electric lights that were bothering them and killing them. And then Midian is out and he's threshing wheat. That tells us several things. It's not a very important job. He's a farmer. And an angel of the Lord appears to him. And the Lord, the first thing he says is, this is in verse 12, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Imagine he's sifting wheat. What do you say? <laughs> you see what I'm doing here? And he tells them, you're going to save Israel, verse 14. And, he's, and so Gideon says, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So in the, big, in the small tribe of Manasseh, his, was, his clan, his relatives that he was from was of the weakest of the clan of the tribe. And then he says, and I am the least in my father's house. That's why they got me out here doing this sifting of wheat. So you're looking at the wrong person, Lord. So Gideon wanted to make sure he was doing the right thing. He had doubts and, and uh, he needed some confirmation. So uh, he asked if God would show him a sign. So he put out an offering and the next morning he came and the offering was all burnt up. That was the first sign. So God says, go tear down the altar of Baal. And uh, okay, well, God, you came through with that. So he did that little task at night with a few men. He tore down the altar of Baal and that really ticked off the tribes around him. And so it was, a, it was a, a declaration of war, essentially, and they all gathered around, the Midianites and the Malachites, they all gathered together to do war and wipe these Israelites out. And now Gideon is up against something much bigger. In verse 33, it says, All the Midianites and the Malachites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. 
knowing this, that there are tens of thousands of enemies surrounding him, Gideon's starting to have second thoughts. And so he says, Lord, I need a little more confirmation about this. And so he puts a fleece out. And he says, if the fleece is wet in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I'll know that you're with me. He does it. And God answers, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry the next morning. And Gideon says, let's try that again. But this time, if the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry, then you really got me. He does it. And the next morning, the ground is wet and the fleece is dry. What, do you, what else do you need, Gideon? Okay, that's enough. And so Gideon sends out an alarm to all the people and th- tens of thousands of Israelites gather. Uh, I think by my count, uh, 32,000, because when they all gathered, Israel, uh, Gideon says to them, if you're fearful and afraid, verse 3, chapter 7, if you're fearful and afraid, whoever is, let them turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead, and 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Two-thirds of them were scaredy cats. Two-thirds said, I don't belong here. <laughs> I'm going home. And he said, go ahead, you got permission. And so they left, leaving 10,000. You can do a lot with 10,000. But God says, no, wait a minute, Gideon, I don't want to share my glory. We're going to cut this down a little bit more, quite a bit more. So you take the men down and whoever to some water, and whoever laps the water like the dog, they're gone. Whoever raises the hand to their mouth will keep them. It might be a tactic because, you know, every warrior has to have situational awareness. And if you put your head down, you're in a vulnerable position. If you take the water up to your face while you're drinking, then you're still aware of your surroundings. That would be a well-trained or at least thoughtful person. 300 men stayed. All right, we're ready to go against the Midianites, the Amalekites. They've assembled in the valley of Jezreel. And God says, take a look at them. There's numerous as locusts, verse 12, and their camels were without number as the sand of the seashore. The whole valley is filled with this enemy. All right, you ready, Gideon? You got 300 guys. Gideon must be thinking, okay, where are the anti-tank missiles? Where are the stinger missiles? At least some drones. How about 300 trumpets and 300 pots, Gideon? Gideon must be thinking, uh, what are we doing, a party here, a funeral service? My men don't know how to play trumpet anyway. 300 trumpets, 300 pots, that's all you get. Well, in the middle of the night, they surround the camp, the 300. They blow the trumpets, they break the pots with fire, and the enemy thinks they're surrounded, panics, starts killing each other, and they all flee. And Gideon saves the day, and he chases him, and he kills the rest of them. He becomes a judge in Israel. He needed God's confirmation. He needed God's power. He needed faith, and he needed courage. He struggled to find it. He wanted God to prove it. God gave him 300 warriors and a strategy, and that's all he needed. When he didn't want to deal with this, God's grace said he could, and he did. Well, let's go scrolling through the Bible, see if we can find other stories. Well, it takes us all the way to the New Testament, and I'm going to land in John chapter 6 this time. John chapter 6, and it's a well-known story about the feeding of the 5,000. 
where Jesus by the Sea of Galilee is, te- is teaching, and they see a huge multitude approaching. And the disciples say, look at all these people. Where shall we buy bread that they may eat? How are we going to feed all these people? And Jesus says, well, you, you, you take care of it. You feed them. We, they, we only have a little money. You take care of it. And then Andrew speaks up and says, well, there is a boy, and he's got two fish and five loaves of bread. The loaves are flat bread, like the picture shows. How they ate bread back then. Don't look for wonder bread. Two fish and five loaves of bread. What good is that with so many people? Jesus says, have the people sit down. Bring me the fish and the bread. And we're going to learn another lesson in faith. You're going to see God's grace at work. And provide something out of nothing. And he begins to distribute the bread and the fried fish. You don't think he'd give them raw fish? Jesus wouldn't give them raw fish. Come on. They didn't eat sushi back then. We're having a fish fry on Memorial Day. You're all invited. We won't give you raw fish. And the disciples learned a lesson that they could trust in God's grace when they had nowhere else to turn. It wasn't something they were looking for. But God came through. When they said they couldn't, God's grace said they could. Have you ever felt like God was asking you to do something that you couldn't do? To meet the needs of too many people around you and you said, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the finances. You feel pulled in all directions. You're worn out. You're tired. Has He ever asked you to speak to a crowd of people when you say, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I can't talk in front of people. You know the number one fear in America, stronger than the fear of death, is the fear of public speaking. I'm terrified right now, by the way. (laughs) I'd rather die. That's the number one fear in America. Have you ever been asked to do that? "I, I, I can't do that, Lord. I can't lead people who don't want to follow. I can't work with my office workers because they all hate me or they're just stubborn or they all want to, they're, they're all seeking their own thing. I can't deal with the competition. Have you had to, ever had to teach an unwilling group or unwilling class of people who were rebe- rebellious and could care less? Maybe you felt you were inadequate because of your social standing. Like Gideon, from the least of these, the clans. Or maybe you feel like you're not equipped with the right resources. <laughs> Lord, I've got to have more than a trumpet and a pot here to take care of the problems I'm facing. There's not enough money in the bank, and nobody seems to want to help. Let's flip ahead to another story. And this is the story of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. In his conversion, you know the story well. He's on his way to Damascus and Jesus appears to him. And and he is converted. He finds out who Jesus is. He had previously been persecuting and killing believers. And now he himself is a believer. Not only that, but God says, I've got a job for you to do. And he sends Ananias to him to explain that job to him. And Ananias explains to him that God has called you and asked you to go to the Gentiles. 
and to preach the gospel to them. You can imagine Paul's thinking. The Gentiles, they don't want to have anything to do with Jews to begin with. And they're not going to like it. And they're not going to treat me well. And Ananias says, and you're going to be suffering. Yeah, you're going to be suffering for these people. Paul didn't like that idea either. But he went anyway out of obedience. He describes the kind of suffering that he went through in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's amazing. It's just unbelievable that he could go th- any man could go through this kind of thing. Any person could go through this kind of thing. Uh, for example, he begins in, am I in chapter 11? Yeah. In chapter 11, verse 23, he begins to talk about the suffering he went through. He says, I had stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes or lashings, minus one, 39, that's what they did. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once would have been enough to convince me to turn around. A day and a night he spent in the deep, in the water. In journeys often always moving. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils from false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst and fasting and cold and nakedness. And besides all these things, my deep concern for the churches. He had to carry that burden and concern and love for all the churches. And that what was, that's what was under all the blows and the, the beatings and the stonings was his love that kept him going. And in chapter 12, Paul, Paul says, you know, hey, I don't mean to be bragging. I'm just, he was comparing himself to the other apostles in Corinth who were denigrating him and questioning his authenticity. And he was just saying, here's my credentials. What's their credentials? These false apostles. And in fact, he says, I don't want to brag. And, and so he uses it in the third person, chapter 12. But I know a man who had a vision. And lest he be exalted above measure, verse 7, by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, he says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So while Paul was doing all of this in ministry and suffering in all these various ways, he carried around with him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. Some people have suggested a satanic tormentor who followed him around. Some people have suggested a a physical ailment. And I tend to think it's more of a physical thing because he says a thorn in the flesh. The only evidence we have of uh, any kind of physical problem with Paul is his bad eyesight in Galatians chapter 6. He mentions that. So we don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it was something that weighed him down, burdened him, and made it hard to minister And he had to carry, he had to live with it. He couldn't get away from it. And so he asked God three times that it might depart from me. Lord, three times. Look what I'm doing for you. I'm trying to do good things and yet 
I've got this thorn in the flesh that just won't leave me alone. And he, his answer, Jesus' answer to him was, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That's a big no. Paul, when you think you can't, God's grace says you can. In fact, when you are weak, that's when you're at your strongest. When you're trusting in God's grace, it is sufficient. And Paul says, therefore, I will rather boast in my infirmities and the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can you say that when you're feeling weak, when you're feeling persecuted, when you're feeling down, when you have a problem you can't get rid of, that you rejoice in it because in that weak condition, you feel God's strength and sufficiency? Because when you're weak, that's when you're strongest in God's grace. Maybe God has called you to some kind of suffering in life. It may be in ministry, or it may just be in life. You find yourself in a place where you have a problem that won't go away. You have a physical condition that the doctors don't have an answer for. You just can't get rid of it. You feel too weak to go on. You feel inadequate to go on. You have a thorn in the flesh. It's like an enemy. It's nagging you. It's hurting you. It's bothering you. It's hindering you. It's weakening you. God says, great, that's right where I want you. Now you can experience my all-sufficient, unwanted grace. So what is it that you think, didn't mean to do that. What, do you, what is it that you think that you cannot do? You feel too weak, you feel too scared, you feel too poor, you're too ignorant, you're too old, you say, you're too inexperienced, you're too young, you're too insignificant. When we think we can't, God's grace says we can. God gives us grace when we need it. I recently got a letter from a friend that I've ministered with in Ukraine. He lives in a suburb of Kiev. And he wrote that when they started bombing Kiev, they got notice that they had to leave their home in 10 minutes. So they went back. He and his wife are now in their 80s. They ran back to their home, and in 10 minutes they had to gather everything that they could carry with them from their life. So they gathered up a few things and they hit the streets. They had to walk eight miles uh, to the trains. Uh, no, not that far to the train station. First they had to get through the train station, which was mobbed with thousands and thousands of people. But he said, by God's grace, we got through it and people helped us. But then when the train dropped us off and we headed to a certain town they told us to go to, it was an eight-mile walk. He says, my wife and I can't walk well. But he says, somehow, by God's grace, we walked the eight miles. They had to cross a bridge that was partly submerged over a river. You've seen pictures of that. People crossing through that bridge. I think that's the bridge he's talking about. It's partly submerged. And he says, 
People helped us all along the way. God sent the right people at the right times when we needed them to provide help to help us. And then even when we got to Lviv, I think the city they were heading to, there were people there who gave them a place to stay. And it was just God watching over us all the way, he said. It's not something they would have wanted or asked for, but God's grace provided. God's grace comes through when we need it. He gives us what we need, not what we want, and He gives it when we need it. A few weeks ago, I sat and talked to a couple in Burleson. They used to go to this church, but physical problems have kept them away for many years. And now they face very serious physical problems, and she is in her last hours as I speak, Maybe he has gone. He hasn't answered my text for three days. But when I talked to her a few weeks ago, she said, you know, I want to be with Jesus. I want to go. She was suffering so much. I want to be with Jesus, but I don't want to smother. I'm afraid of smothering. Because her heart was giving out. She couldn't breathe. And I said, Kathleen, have you ever heard of dying grace? She looked bewildered. No. I said, well, dying grace is a phrase that means that God's grace will be there when you need it. So when it comes time for you to pass, God's grace will be there. So don't worry about something that you don't have right now. You're not looking death in the eye at the moment. But when that time comes, God's grace will be there. That's what we call dying grace, or we could call it unwanted grace as well. You might think about needs that you have. You need more faith. You need more courage. Maybe you need more contentment in life. You need love for people that aren't very lovely in your life. You need relationships to be healed. Maybe you need financial help. You find yourself short. We all have needs. And that brings us to what I have come to appreciate. It's one of my favorite and most important verses in the Bible. And we're going to just pause and unpack it a little bit. Hebrews chapter 14 and verse 16. Every word in here is important, but it's a promise of God's grace when we need it. Let's let's unpack it. Let's start with the first words, let us. Now, in the context, us would be the Hebrews and including the author, whoever that is. He's identifying with them in the fact that They all have needs. Now, the need that the Hebrews faced was some kind of persecution that threatened them. We don't know exactly what it was, but they were tempted to go back into Judaism and forsake Christianity. And the whole book is trying to keep them on the path of growing in their Christian faith and not turning back and away from it. And so to do that, Paul, Paul, the, the author has just encouraged them by telling them that you have a high priest, Jesus Christ, Now, the job of a high priest is to represent you to God and God to you. And a high priest brings our prayers to God. And Jesus is a high priest and he's sitting at the right hand, the place of position and influence at God's right hand. Therefore, let us, he says, let us with Jesus as our high priest. That's who he's talking about in the context. And what is he talking about? He's talking about coming to the throne of grace. 
let us come to the throne of grace. Don't be stagnant. Don't be static. Don't just sit there. Don't fail to move forward. You can do something about your problems and about your situation and about the threat that's around you. Come. Come. Make a move. How do we come to the throne of grace? I can only imagine he's talking about prayer here. Get down in your, on your knees or in your prayer position and come to God. How do you do that? Boldly, he says. Come boldly. Boldly, that sounds presumptuous. Just march right into the presence of God. Jesus opened the door for you. Jesus is our high priest. He wants, to, he wants to be put to work. He doesn't want to be unemployed sitting on the side. Jesus wants to work on our behalf. He wants to intercede with God on our behalf. So we could come boldly. It's like he says, everything is at your disposal. You can have anything that you want. So you go to McDonald's and says, I'm going to get two Big Macs instead of one. No, 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 no. Think bigger. You're going to buy the store. In fact, let's buy a whole chain of McDonald's. That's how much I've got for you. Come boldly. God's resources have no end. His willingness to help is no end. Where do we go? To the throne of grace. That's an interesting term, the throne of grace. They could have, it could just talk about God's throne, but God is the God of all grace, and from, that, from His throne emanates everything we need, everything we don't deserve for anything that we need, and even more. So the throne of grace is now where Jesus sits waiting and wanting to help us in our needs. But we have to come to Him. And why do we come to Him? That we may f- obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Mercy is that we might not get what we deserve. And grace is that we get what we don't deserve. So that's why we come to Him. We need God's mercy. Lord, I don't deserve. Don't give me what I deserve, please. I pray that every day. Don't give me what I deserve. And grace, Lord, give me what I don't deserve. I don't deserve it. I shouldn't even be asking for it, but you, asked, you told me to come to you for it. And when do we come? In the time of need. In the time of need. Is when you'll find that help. It'll come when it's needed. Dying grace. Unwanted grace. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills next month, but it's not next month yet. I'm afraid to die. Well, you're not dying yet. But when the time comes, God's grace will be there for you. One last example of dying grace would be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he when he was betrayed and before he was crucified, you know how it went and how he, he, he knew what he faced. He didn't want to face it. Uh, he, well, he did obediently. He wanted to obey God, but we see that humanity come out in his prayer, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want to deal with this, but his resignation to God's will, nevertheless, thy will, not my will. And he went through for it with it for our sakes and he went to the cross he was beaten and he died on the cross 
on our behalf to pay the sins that we could never pay for ourselves. And so He gave us access to God by His death on the cross and by His resurrection from the dead. He is able to say, I can now give you eternal life and access to God if you come through me. For no one comes to the Father apart from me, Jesus said. If you're in need today, God's grace is there willing and waiting to help you when you need it. Come boldly and ask for it. But if you're not sure about your eternal destiny, if you're not sure that you have eternal life, there's also grace waiting for you. And it comes because Jesus Christ procured it at the cross. And the Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith means that you are willing to believe God's promise that He will save you when He promises to save you. Should you not be interested in that gift? Then it truly is unwanted grace and it's even wasted grace. But to think that God's own Son would be wasted on the cross for you? Unthinkable. Trust Him as your Savior today. Let's go home with these thoughts. Call your mother. Jesus made God access to God's grace possible by His death on the cross, taking away the barrier of sin. Jesus offers grace for anybody who needs it when we need it. Our greatest need is eternal salvation and the forgiveness of sins, so it starts there. But then there's grace for everyday living after that. Just don't waste the grace that is available to you. Let's pray. And so, Father, we do thank you for the grace of God. How undeserved, but how wonderful it is. Amazing grace that covers all our needs, starting with salvation until our dying days when we are ushered into your presence. What a wonderful thought that you have such grace for us. If there's anyone here today who has doubts about their future in eternity, may today be the day of their salvation where by faith they say, Lord, I need that grace. I can't get to heaven on my own or by my own efforts or by changing my life. I I want you to change me from the inside out. I thank you for dying for my sins. I know that you've risen from the dead. I know that you're alive. Please save me today. And then we will rejoice together with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.